Glad to see the presence of each one here that is is here today. Happy New Year. Happy first day of the week. As I consider that we are in January now, um, it's that marks a year since the month I was ordained and I'll just say I appreciate you all's prayers and continued prayers and gifts and favors you've shown to me and my family, especially over this holiday season with your generosity and your thoughtfulness in many ways. I pray that um, the blessing and the grace, the mercy and peace from God, our, our Father, and our Lord and Savior would rest itself upon us. You know, we think about this time of year a little more on our minds, the, the thing of sickness. And being sick, just it kind of has a stigma to it now that maybe it didn't used to have. But I thought of a man in the, in the Bible that was sick. Epaphrophus, I used to say that name. But he was sick nigh unto death, it said. Epaphrodus. But it was said of him that the Lord had mercy on him. Um, he was sick nigh unto death. Maybe we don't <clears throat> face quite that degree when we get sick. It's just usually just a pain. But the answer is still the same. We need the mercy of God in our sickness, whether it's a big thing to us or not. And um, so we wish that on each one. We wish the healing of God and we pray and speak that over each of you today wherever you are. It was mentioned the, the uh, how that today is the first day of the week. It's also the first day of the year. And that won't happen again until 2034. So enjoy it. The way the calendar works, it, it, um, it happens kind of on a six and a five year schedule, but because of leap year, there's 11 year gap on one of the stretches there. So we're entering that 11 year gap until we have New Year's on a Sunday again. We think oftentimes on, on a new year of this thing of having a, a rev resolution or, or a New Year's resolution. Well, I thought, well, maybe what we really need is a New Year's revelation. And that is where we hear from God that we have ears to hear, eyes to see what God is saying and what the Spirit is saying. And let that be, maybe that can lead to a resolution with better results. Having the eyes of our understanding opened to the things of God. 
Well, we hope to do that here in the, in the remaining time we have this morning. I guess another thing we have uh, traditionally done on, on a New Year's Day is, is to uh, take a tally of those who may have read through the Bible in a year. And so we'll, um, for those who would like to make that known this morning, we'll offer you that opportunity. If you have read through the Bible in the, this past year, let's uh, see, raise of hands for those who have done that. Okay, I believe we have at least three that at least said they did that. And if you're too humble to let it be known, um, God bless you anyway. Um, don't know if that's an item the secretary likes to take down, but um, are there any besides th that who have read through just the New Testament? Okay, we have a few there. I'd say probably two that have done that. So God bless you in your reading. Reading through the Bible is a worthy goal. It's not necessarily one I have done myself every year. There was a, a year or two I did, I did. I made a point of doing that just to um, be able to say I did. And, and two, you know, it has some value in it. I don't know that it, it was a huge spiritual boost necessarily just because of the, of the reading itself. But it did open up to where later on I would remember things or remember stories or concepts that had come to me during that time maybe from more obscure passages that later on down the road would, would be a help to you and you, you realize that hey there, there's a, a thing there that could apply a, a lesson so it's something to press forward in the reading of God's word, not necessarily through the Bible, but more importantly to meditate upon what we read. I guess I'm more of a random um, studier of the Bible. I thought of um, a verse in Judges chapter 1 that stood out to me recently I thought to share with you all it talked about in the early days of the conquest of Canaan Judges 1.19 it said the Lord was with Judah the Lord had given commandment to this tribe of Judah to tasked them with driving out the inhabitants of the mountain. It said he, he drove them out. But if you look earlier in the chapter, he didn't do this uh, on his own. He was given instruction in verse 2. The Lord said, Judah shall go up, and behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And um, it said that Israel asked of the Lord. They inquired of the Lord. You notice that often of righteous men that they inquired of the Lord when they had a question or a problem. And it says, The Lord was with Judah, verse 19, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain. 
but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. It's, it seemed a little bit odd to me that the Lord, having been with Judah, it affirms that he was, but yet they were unable to drive out the chariots of iron in the valley. Is God limited? Is this to say that, you know, we, yeah, we, we have a measure of success in things God sends us to do, but, you know, let's not get too excited because God just can't do a certain thing. I'm not sure we should look at it that way, these chariots of iron. Um, yes, they were a problem, and I wonder if it could illustrate to us today a spiritual stronghold in, in our way, a spiritual stronghold. Jesus said there was a certain thing that required prayer and fasting to be able to succeed and to break that fetter. Not to be a cause of discouragement because Joshua did say, ye shall, in, jo in Joshua chapter 17, we might just look at that, he did address this thing of the iron chariots. In the book of Joshua 17, it says, He spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Even when the odds are against us, it may seem mean that we need to just pray a little more into a situation or into a problem. But I think it helps to acknowledge it and to realize that there are parallels, possibly, seen in the, in the Old Testament that could well relate to our experiences today in facing battles. I've also been reading some through First and Second Samuel and, and the accounts of those relations between Samuel and Saul and between Saul and David. And, and some of the things that just pop out at you. In First Samuel chapter 30, bring out a, another little glimpse into a, a part of David's life. Verse 6, it talks about David being greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. This was before David was king. He, he did have some uh, followers, group of men, if I remember right, it was about 600 men. And he had fled from Saul, living in the land of the Philistines. He had actually befriended the king of the Philistines, the king Achish, and was helping to, to fight the, the battles of the Philistines. 
Well, in, in offering himself to help King Achish, he, um, he was denied that. The, the king told him that, you know, I trust you, but there's lords of the Philistines that do not trust you. So just go home and, and sit this one out. And he protested a little bit. He wanted to make sure that he was um, shown himself to be willing to help the king. Upon returning home, he lived in a town called Ziglag, and he discovered that the Amalekites had invaded while they were gone and taken the women captive. And they that were therein, verse 2, it says, they slew not any, either small or great, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And that's where we find ourselves. Um, very discouraging situation. When we're robbed, when, when um, if you've ever been stolen from and discovered that, you know, it, it has a, a feeling of being violated. And um, the thing that stands out to me then is, you know, the end, how it says there in verse 6, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. His God encouraged himself. It, it has a personal feel to this. Probably wasn't many there that were helping him feel that way. Sometimes we kind of have to pick ourselves up in the Lord, of course. Well, the way the story turns out, I'm going to skip over some of it, but in verse 18 it says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. There was a lot that happened in between there after he had encouraged himself. He inquired of the Lord. He got direction. He sought God's will in that matter, and God told him uh, what, what would take place and what would happen that they would succeed in doing this. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. That stood out to me. The success that he was able to bring about. And the fact that he encouraged himself before this. Now, it's easy to be encouraged when we see success. After it, you know, Maybe we say that, well, I'll be encouraged when I see something to be encouraged about. And sometimes we need to engage in that, in, in the dark of the valley. In Deuteronomy 30, it talks about a time when it says, Then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. Turn thy captivity. The thought there means to restore everything that was lost. Just like David.
often we wait until we see a good thing to say, well, then I'll be encouraged. But, you know, kind of the spirit of, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, that, that attitude's not going to get you far spiritually. You know, God desires our faith in the middle of, a, of the distress. And when the outcome seems to have already been um, finalized or set in a bad way for evil and for despair, it is then when we pursue God against the odds. Maybe in the midst of when people are ready to stone us or whatever it may be. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And our belief is this, that God will restore all things unto himself. Jesus said in John 17, verse 12, Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. And then this thought comes to us from Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 23 of that passage, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, maybe you could emphasize that if, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. The hope of the gospel. One of the great truths of the gospel and the thing that is a hope is the fact that Jesus is coming again. I'd like to maybe consider a title for the message this morning. The time is at hand. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. Another phrase in the Bible would say that the day is at hand. The day is at hand when maybe you could apply that to mean a certain event or, or day in time that the Lord has ordained, a 24-hour period that he has ordained, a day. Or you could say the day is at hand in the sense that there is light. Day is a creation of God, a supernatural work of God in which we have light upon our lives. It is time to awake out of sleep in a spiritual way. Maybe when you think about the fact that, yes, Jesus is coming again, you think, well, you know, when it happens, it happens. It's not really my business as to how, when, and where. And, you know, I'll just sort of mind my own business and go along and occupy until the Lord comes. In other words, you know, he told us that we don't know the day nor the hour. 
And so let's just be a little indifferent towards it because, you know, we don't know. Well, if, if that is the grace that you walk in, then I, I want to bless you in, in your walk with God and patiently serving him until the day comes, whenever it will be, and not to be um, get your feathers ruffled up over such things, so to speak. But, you know, there is a difference between waiting and watching. There's a little story that I've heard tell. It goes something like this. There was a story of some sailors who were coming in from being at sea probably for a year or, or longer. They were gone. And so all their wives and their families and their children were gathered around the harbor as this ship was coming in, waiting for the desired return, being reunited with their loved ones. And so you can imagine how that was when those men stepped off that boat, having been gone that long, and the, and the hugs and the tears and the, just the wrapping their arms around each other. They probably weren't as scared of germs like we are sometimes in a situation like that. But just a glad reunion. Well, as the story goes, there was one gentleman that stepped off that boat and he looks for his wife. She's nowhere to be found. He treks all the way home to his house and walks in the door and she's sitting there in her chair with a cup of tea. And she said, honey, I've been waiting for you. Really? Okay. She was waiting. But he said, you know, the other husband's wives were watching. And you see the point of that story. I don't want to be just waiting. I want to be watching and anticipating the appearing of Jesus. As Jesus himself said to watch. Matthew 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Well, in a sense, you could say, well, that's, that's odd. You know, if we don't know, he's told us we don't know, what's the point of watching? And Matthew 25, 13 continues that thought. He said, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So apparently the watching has something to do with being prepared or at least being set in the mindset we have regarding it. The idea of being on guard like a, a night watchman. Um, maybe we should turn to Luke chapter 12. Verse 35. It says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Now those are metaphors. There's um, a picture there. And the Holy Spirit's going to have to direct you in what that means. I can't really sit here and spell it out. But it is the word of God. Let your loins be girded about and your 
lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he come in the second watch, or if he come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. The idea of, of being on guard as a watchman, as a night watchman, except that a night watchman is usually looking for trouble. He's looking for a thief. And we are looking for the opposite of a thief. We're looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior. And it may well be in our looking, in our watching, that we, we see some thievery going on by the enemy and, and other things. The thief cometh to kill, steal, and destroy. That is a work that is going on in our world yet today. You know, not knowing the day or the hour. That is a strong foundational doctrine that we, we hold to. It is the summary of, of New Testament teaching that we are to watch because of that. You do not know the day nor the hour. And, you know, while the Bible teaches that we do not know the day, it also teaches that we can see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25, so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the conclusion could be we don't know the day, yet we do see the approach of that day. Is that fair to say? How can that be? Normally when you see something coming, you, you have a little bit of a, of a depth perception as to when it will be there. Maybe it's a little bit like a, um, a thing I remember. There used to be a, a place out behind the Valley Mall years ago here locally that um, was called the bullpen. You could go in there and, and have batting practice. There would be a machine there that would pitch you a ball. And you could go in there and select whether you wanted a slow pitch or a, or a medium pitch or whatever speed. You could, you could get a fast pitch, and I knew... There was a time or two I remember trying out the fast pitch. And interestingly enough, if you're not used to that, which I never played baseball or that kind of thing in school, but I just remember th remembering the ball. You could see it coming, but by the time you swung to hit that ball, it had already hit the backstop and was rolling down the gutter. And it may be a little bit like that with the day of the Lord and the things that God wants to bring into our lives. We can see it approaching, but the way to look at this is it'll probably be quicker than we think. Jesus did say, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy. 
of this book. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. Interesting, it has there that the day of the Lord is said to have a voice. The time is at hand. Maybe it's a time for a New Year's resolution or a, a revelation. As our brother Brandon already referred to this morning, alluded to that, you know, who's to say that 2023 could, uh, could well be the year that the things written in the, in the book of Revelation would begin to multiply upon the face of the earth. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, there's a, a verse here that stood out to me. An angel which stood upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. Now those of you with your New King James versions will understand that it's not saying that time will cease. It's simply the thought that there should be no more delay. That time no longer shall be is, is kind of a, a misnomer in that setting. It's interesting to me he spends more time describing how this angel swear and how he made this announcement, this pronouncement, it spends more time describing then than what, what he actually said, as if to lend weight and, and some, um, some grandeur to this statement that time should be no more, that there should be no more delay. There's a song we sing, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. It's probably based on this verse. Now, it's probably more true to say that time as we know it will come to an end. In the verse following that, verse 7, it does speak of a thing that will come to an end, and that is, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God, should be finished. The mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. I'm not sure what all that's referring to. That mystery, the, the Bible also speaks of, of a mystery of iniquity and it would, it would sure be nice to see that come to an end as well. There shall be no more delay. Things, I believe, will transpire quickly at, at the point where God has determined that he will begin to wrap up this part of his time period for man. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I would like to um, bring out a couple thoughts. Second Peter chapter 3, 
verse 3. Knowing this first, knowing this first, there's some emphasis there, that there should come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You see a, a spirit of aloofness and indifference and where is the promise of his coming is, is what they're asking. Well, the promise of his coming is in the Bible. That's where it is. Now that's not what they're asking, but I would like to answer them in that way. I guess the, their question is more, where is the evidence of this? Why should we be paying attention to it. Most of us here today would probably see enough and be discerning enough of the times that we don't um, wonder, you know, that this will not happen. But there is there is that spirit in our day that things will just continue as they were and we're free to go on and do our things and make the best of it. Yes, we have tough times, but... You know, I'm looking for the return of the Lord. And that is a perspective that helps guide our actions and our plans and our thoughts and just the way we conduct our lives in a general way. Our manner of conversation can be uh, rightly affected by that perspective. Verse 5, it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. <clears throat> it's interesting that the Peter brings their thoughts and minds back to a time way back. Well, for us, it's, it's way back. And to help them gain picture of, of a, a larger picture of what God is doing in his creation. We believe the earth to be approximately 6,000 years old. And there was a time when, when it's even called the old world, it was destroyed in the time of, of Noah. These are large events spaced far apart in God's perspective. And in our perspective, I should say, but God says uh, something concerning that in verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let us not confuse the long-suffering of God with slackness or that God is asleep at the wheel, that he is not paying attention even as Elijah accused the, the prophets of Baal as you know, their God, he's on a journey, he's not, he's not interested in you. He's sleeping, he must be awaked. God is very much aware of where the world is at in our day and time. 
2 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The New King James Version for that. Let says to restrain. There is a restraining of evil that is taking place not just by governments. That's their job. They don't always do it well. But even more than that, in a supernatural way, there is the restraint of iniquity, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, to be not ignorant of this one thing. Is there an emphasis here we are, are missing? Isn't it interesting, it is to me, that we base our time and our years on the first coming of Christ. Why do you think that is? Wasn't he just a carpenter's son? Wasn't he just a, a good man, a good teacher? Why do you think God has established that as a central time figure, keeping worldwide, globally, as far as I know, everybody goes by 2023 in the year of our Lord. And um, this new year would, would mark another milestone, I believe, in which we are rapidly approaching what I would call the third day the third day since the time of Jesus' earthly ministry based on 2 Peter 3, verse 8. You could say in that, in that time conversion of years to days, the, the second day is nearly done. And good things happen to God's people on the third day. I was thinking maybe this, this morning to, to even talk a little more about that third day and it seems like if you study that out in the, in the Bible there's some significance regarding the goodness of the third day. Something we can discern and see from various points in scripture. I might just bring out one and that is at Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. He says, come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Verse 2, after two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. And then verse 3 says this, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain upon the earth. What do you think about that former rain? What's it referring to? I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. The former rain and the latter rain is mentioned here. Could it not be 
the ministry of Jesus, the presence of Jesus at his first event. We believe it happened, even though it was a long time ago. The former rain, that speaks also of the latter rain. Um, rain is thought to be a good thing. I believe we had some last night. It's considered an essential, life-giving. Think about how rain comes. It comes from the sky. It descends upon us. We are looking for a latter rain in terms of what God wants to do yet with his creation. He has not forgotten his world. He has not forgotten his man, his created image here on this earth. John 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee when Jesus was performing a transformation of that water into wine. It was on the third day of creation that God created the living things on this earth. Grass, trees, we would call living things. Jesus told us in Luke 13, 32, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be, he doesn't say crucified, he says I shall be perfected. He could be well alluding to his crucifixion. The third day he was going to rise again and triumph over that and be perfected. I saw two, won't take time to turn to this, but in Exodus chapter um, 19, there was an instant where Moses was on the mountain and things were going on with that. He said, in the third day, I'm going to come down in the sight of all the people. The Lord told Moses that. He told him to be watching and to be ready for that. To sanctify themselves for that occasion. To put off inattention and all the things that would distract them, even legitimate things, because the Lord was going to come down in the sight of all the people on the third day. And along with that, in that story, in that allegory, whatever you want to call it, it um, may have well been that for our day and time, and there was also the sound of the trumpet involved in that story. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. And in that setting on Mount Sinai, there was a thick cloud, a cloud that God said he was going to utilize that cloud. Now we know that, that um, clouds are mentioned with association with Christ return to the earth, coming on clouds of glory. 
So is there some significances pertaining to the third day as to what God is going to do with his church and and so on, I don't know. I'd like to I like to see those parallels for what they could be in scripture and to at least observe and to lay that out for you here this morning. Titus two thirteen says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. Jesus Christ. We look forward, we press forward in our calling and our duty in this world. We try to keep our interests and our zeal as it should be. And sometimes I think it just it takes a little extra um, perspective on our part to be able to do that wisely and with the direction that God wants us to do. There's uh, a place in Second Chronic in First Chronicles that talks about the, the children of Issachar, which it said they had they were men of understanding that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. It seemed like they were a special group of people that had that insight. And, um, maybe God's calling us to to have a little more insight into the times, not just for sensation's sake or, or to say, look what I see or what I think and, and all that, but to know what to do and to have that knowledge, but also to have wisdom that pertains to goodness in our day and time and living for the Lord. <clears throat> 